Good morning. It is so good to see you. I feel like I haven't been here for a month of Sundays. We had a tremendous time in Vietnam, and over the next few weeks, we'll take some time and, and share with you about it. If, right now, the ushers are going to come, and we have a very small uh, gift for you. Now, here's the deal. You're supposed to take it, and you can uh, put it in your hand or put it on the seat or do something, but you can't eat it yet. You've got to wait till I tell you you can eat it. Okay, ushers, come on down. Hand everybody one of these as fast as you can. And everybody take one. It's just a little piece of chocolate. I want you to take it. Hold on to it. Don't eat it yet. What are you not supposed to do? You're not supposed to eat it yet. That's right. All right. Now, over the next couple weeks, this week and next week, uh, we're going to talk about joy and the joy that's supposed to be inside of our, of our lives. And then it's anniversary Sunday, and we're going to celebrate our, our 52nd anniversary uh, and talk about some of the great things that God has done for us. But right now, let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611. Listen to what uh, David writes. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, uh, today, you know the things that sway our spirits that impact the way we feel. Lord, let us hear from you today. Father, we pray that you would touch us, those with great needs in their life, physical needs in their life, that you bring healing and life to them, and those of us who may be struggling with circumstances in life, that you would let your joy walk in fullness with us in Jesus' name, Father, help us today. Speak to us today. Amen. Well, I have been looking forward for the last several weeks of being back and, and speaking with you today. Whenever I talk about the emotions of man, though, uh, I want to be clear. I'm aware that there are those who have physical issues that impact their emotions. And if you're struggling with those kind of issues, if, if that is, as the Apostle Paul would say, the thorn in your flesh, uh, I certainly don't want to beat up on you or make you feel like you are failing Christ in some way. I certainly want you to take the direction of the Word, but also to remember there's more going on in your journey than in other people's journeys. Now, where some people may have a chemical imbalance or some other challenge in their emotional state, most people are on some sort of a spectrum of emotions. And on one end of this spectrum, at the far, far end of it, at the bottom end of it, would probably be something like when we're going through grief and we've lost something important to us. 
most, most on, mostly when we think about grief, we think about, uh, we think about somebody that we've lost and the bottom seems to have dropped out from underneath of us and we've got this uh, thing impacting the way we see everything. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I, I've just kind of labeled it today uh, lotto because there's a big lotto going on if you haven't heard. How would you feel if somebody bought you a ticket, handed it to you, and you won the lotto? Uh, you think, do you think that would be kind, you'd be kind of a little bit would you just kind of go, oh, man, what am I going to do with this? This is such a hassle. Why did they buy this for me? What, what do you, how do you think you'd feel for those moments? That's the other end of the spectrum. And all of that stuff is built on the circumstances of our life. What's going on? in our life. Our emotions are influenced by events. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There are moments of great joy, and there are certainly moments of sorrow that are appropriate in our life. Now, I would remind you, though, that the weakness of good times that are built on circumstances is that the bad times can override the good times. If you hit the lotto today and tomorrow a phone call came that your closest loved one had died, all the money that they're giving you wouldn't override the grief. The grief would override the moment of joy. That's one of the weaknesses of circumstantial joy and circumstantial happiness. Two things to consider. What is the foundation of your emotional being? What is the foundation of where you rest on this spectrum? Where does it come from? The second thing to consider is where do you default to most of the time? When you haven't won the lotto, or you're not going through grief. It's just a normal day in your life. What's your default setting? How do you normally see the world? How do you normally approach the world? For most people, circumstances are this foundation of our being, how things are going. And not only do circumstances swing them from one to the other, but when we get down into our daily, how we view, uh, our daily default setting, it's kind of the way we view life, how you see life, how you see your life. And so many times, even this default setting is built on circumstances, how we've been raised or what kind of a worldview uh, we have, have come because of the way life has treated, treated us, which leads us to the kind of the way we see life. The default setting is where our, where our emotional state is at most of the time. You know, life is good. It's bright. 
happy people, they kind of lean towards the lotto side of things. Things are going to work out, and that which doesn't work out today will work out tomorrow. It's not that big a deal. Life is good. And when you're around them, they're happy, they're joyful. These are the people who lean towards that side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, life is tough. You're going to have tough times. How others treat me is not good, so I have to watch them. I have to speak up. Life is dark. I have to fight to get my way. We're kind of grouchy and nasty about the things that are going on in our life. Now, with that in mind, where would you mark yourself on the spectrum? Now, most of us, here's our tendency. I have a good, healthy balance. The happy people think, I've got a good, healthy balance. And the people on the dark side think, I'm seeing life in reality. I have a good, healthy balance. But if you take all the balance out of it, what do you really like? Which way do you kind of lean towards, and which way do you live? Now, I I thought about challenging you today to ask others how they think you balance in this. But I really came down to the fact that that would probably be of little or no value and may actually cause trouble. If someone on the lotto side of the scale went to someone and they, and they marked them lower or challenged them that they're too happy-go-lucky and they're seeing the world through rose-tinted glasses, they would probably think, oh, they're always negative. They, they, they've always got a bad attitude. I feel sorry for them. And if somebody on the negative side of the scale asked someone well, what they, and they said, well, you know, you're a little too negative, they would, they would think they don't see life in reality. Life is tough. Life is hard. Even my friends read me wrong. You've got to look at this yourself. How do you feel about the day? What's really bubbling down inside of you? And what's it based on? What's the foundation of it? When you are uh, otherwise healthy, what is your state of mind? Is it good or is it not good? In good circumstances and bad circumstances, what does your natural spirit lean towards? How low the lows are, how consistently you rest on the joyful side rests so much with how we have been taught, how we've learned the circumstances of life, and how we view the world. Our view of the world has been influenced by a lot of things. How you view the world has been influenced by how you were raised, how your parents and those influenced talk to you, how difficult or how easy things have come to you in life, whether it's been easy or hard, how your relationships have unfolded in life, whether, they've been, whether you've been treated with truthfulness and honesty or whether you've been ripped off, how this world has responded to you, how your parents saw the world. All of those things influence us. The music we listen to, the things, the way we see the life are all influenced 
when we rest in circumstantial foundation, all of those impact our life. And we're kind of a sourpuss because mom was kind of a sourpuss and her mom was kind of a sourpuss. Or we're joyful because mom was always joyful and she taught me how to see the good things in life and when things go bad, we make cookies. It's great. <laughs> Where are you at in all of this? I want you to take a quick look at a person that, that this, this person... He was seen by his father as the least of his siblings. When, when, when tasks were passed out, he was given the worst of the task consistently. When opportunities came for the family, the other kids were given a chance, but he, he wasn't included he was placed in dangerous situations in life and had to work through them on his own, even as a young boy. His motives were constantly questioned by his family, by his friends. As he got to be an adult, he was falsely accused, and he lost everything. He found himself not only homeless, but on the run for his life and spent years of his life as a fugitive. And even as he later came into his own, his subordinates caused him trouble, and eventually his own son would betray him. Do you know who I'm talking about? We're talking about David that if he would have allowed the circumstances of life to rule his life, to be his worldview of life, if he would have allowed the way he was raised and the way things happened to him and the way the world unfolded to him to be the rule of his spirit, David would have been a pretty, you know, cynical guy. But on the other side, what we see about David as a guy who wrote most of the Psalms, and in particular, the one that we've read a little bit about today. I want to look at this whole Psalm real quickly for, with you today. In the first verse of Psalm 16, David writes, this man who's had all these terrible things happen to, me, to him, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He had learned who his protector was. He had learned that no matter what circumstances that he was in, that whether he was in the cave or whether he was out on the mountainside watching the sheep and the lions and the bears were coming in, that God would protect him even when he was alone. He writes in verse 2, I say to the, to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He says, listen, I, I'm, I've recognized that nothing good comes my way except by the Lord. The Lord provides for me and the Lord gives to me. In verse 3, he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom, is all of my, my, in whom is all my delight. He says, those who fear the Lord are the ones I want to hang out with. 
They're the ones I, I've, I've been hanging out with a lot of people over the years. And the ones I really want to hang out with are the ones who serve the Lord. Why? He knows where their foundation for life is at. In verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. They drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He looks again. He says, Those who don't know the Lord, you know, I, I don't even want to be with them. I don't want to hang with them because their portion, what they're going to do, sorrows are going to multiply upon them. In verse 5, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my life. He says, men do not have the final say. Circumstances do not have the final say. You will help me overcome. I will walk in victory because of who you are. Verse 6, he says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my, also in the night, also my heart instructs me. He says, he is always there to comfort me. He's always there to guide me. I'm never alone. I'm never left out. Even in the darkest hours, I can lay there at night and my heart will be instructed by the Lord. So I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be, be shaken. He says, I'm always thinking about him. He's always in front of me. I always know that he is there, and I'm taking my counsel from him. I will not be shaken in this world because God is with me. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh my flesh also dwells secure. He says, nothing's going to shake me. Nothing's going to rock my emotions. Nothing's going to blow me out of this because I am going to rejoice in the Lord and he's, I'm going to dwell with him and he's going to be upon me. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Listen to verse 11 again. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. What's he saying? He's saying circumstances are not you know, the foundation of my life, but the foundation of my life is my relationship and walking in the presence of God. Hey, you got that piece of candy? You can open it up right now. Everybody grab that. If you like candy, you can eat a piece of candy. Open it up right now. All right. Hopefully you got the piece you like. Or life is bad, right? Circumstances. <laughs> you can take that and eat it right now. Go ahead and eat it. Just eat it. I just enjoy this. And chew it up, suck on it, whatever you want to do. How many people here like chocolate? Well, this is a good day at church today. <laughs> Circumstances are good. Oh, just enjoy it. Oh, you feel it, you taste it, it's the smell. Oh, it's just. Mm hmm. That's good. Isn't that good? 
Is it gone yet? Let's just kind of enjoy it for a second. Savor it. How many of you it's gone already? All right, some of you. Hmm. See, here's, here's the deal. You, you, you eat this and you enjoy it. And then it's gone. You have the memory of it. But that piece of chocolate can offer you no more pleasure. That piece of chocolate is gone. Now, you can hope somebody will give you another piece. It's not going to be me today. <laughs> you may go out and seek out another piece, but that, that piece is gone. That's an illustration of circumstantial joy. Building your life on stuff. See, here's the other weakness of this joy down on this other end. So many times when we reach our goal and we get our thing and it happens to us, it's not long until we discover, you know what, that didn't really make me happy either. That was good for a moment, but now it's gone. I... I'd be afraid to tell you how many people have talked to me who thought, well, if I just get married, I'll be happy. And have discovered something else. If I just have kids, that'll make me happy. Then two in the morning comes and the kids are crying. and Circumstantial joy. If I just get that job. And they're six months into it, and they think, if I just got another job. David is talking not about circumstantial joy. David is talking about the joy of the Lord, which is another thing altogether. Next week, we're going to talk about a pathway to that joy. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, being joy. The joy of the Lord, listen, is the permanent fragrance of God that lives in our soul. It's the, 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 the joy of the Lord, this fragrance is there all the time. It's there in all circumstances. It doesn't take grief away, but it sustains us in grief. We don't mourn as those who have no hope because the fragrance of God is alive in our life. In, in moments of great joy and good things are happening, we're reminded that God is the giver of good things to us. And our joy is, is, has a fullness to it and a strength to it that is more sustainable. 
It doesn't free us from trouble, but sustains us in trouble. It doesn't lower our lotto happiness, our high-end happiness, but it fills us with gratitude in the middle of those things. The joy of the Lord is an abiding sense of God with us. The abiding sense makes us know that all things are in God's hands and he will see us through them. This abiding sense coats our heart, coats the hearts of a believer so that the pain of this world only holds so much sway. We grieve, but we feel God's presence in the middle of our grief. This abiding sense sings in every moment of our lives of the promises of God down inside of us. It reminds us, it speaks to us that even in this hour, God is with us. This abiding sense of God keeps the pain of this world in check. What have all the great men and women of God discovered that, discovered that is common? What separates Christianity from all the other faiths? What is the foundation of our joy that builds us through all of these circumstances and all the times of life? Listen, friends, it is the presence of God in our lives. Abraham began to discover the presence of God when he heard the voice of God tell him, pack up your bags and go to a far-off country. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. And he got his first taste of the presence of God. Jacob discovered the presence of God one night in a wrestling match that kept him up through the night and marked him for the rest of his life. Joseph discovered the presence of God in slavery, in prison, where in years separated from his family, God began to mold him and shape him and fill him with hope. Moses first discovered the presence of God in a burning bush on a mountainside. Joshua discovered the presence of God waiting outside the tent, waiting on Moses to come out. And then as Moses would leave, Joshua would stay. As God began to mold his life, Gideon discovered the presence of God while he was threshing out the wheat in a wine press. Ruth found the presence of God in the life of her mother-in-law that made her leave all that she had to follow after this one and for her to say, your God shall be my God. Samuel discovered the presence of God as a boy sleeping when the voice of God began to speak to him and David discovered the presence of God at night in the fields watching the sheep, the disciples discovered the presence of God walking with Jesus. And then when he left this earth, they were sent to the upper room to wait until the Holy Spirit fell upon them so that his power could be with them every day of their life. And Paul discovered the presence of God on the Damascus Road. The discovery of joy, the abiding joy 
the joy that raises us up above the temporary circumstances of this earth are, are, is discovered in the presence of God. You may get a sense of that presence in a corporate worship time as you get caught up in the truth of a song. You may get a sense of this in a church prayer meeting when someone calls out to God and you agree with them in prayer and you sense God's presence in that moment. You may get a sense of his presence in a sermon when the truth fills your soul, when your soul is in despair or in the reality of the moment and your soul is filled with hope. But listen to me. The real place where the abiding joy from the presence of God takes hold of your life, where it really becomes a permanent place in your spirit, where the abiding presence of God grows in your spirit, begins to live with overwhelming power in your life day to day, where that, that, that moves in your life no matter what comes into your life that only happens when you begin to spend time alone with God when you begin to seek him when you like Paul set him before you all the time you're aware of him you're open to him the corporate times can give you a taste or free the reality of God's presence, but only in time alone with God, in his presence, him breaking you, healing you, molding you, growing his fruit inside of your life. That's where the sustaining presence of God moves in your life and you begin to move away from circumstantial things ruling your life to the abiding joy of the Lord. Listen to what David says once again. He says, you make known to me the path of life. It's God's presence. It's God being his life. He says, you've made known to me how to live my life. Whether I'm out in the, the she a shepherd boy out with the flocks being attacked, whether I'm being accused by my brothers of having false motives, whether I'm being chased by the king to be killed wherever you have me you have put before me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore David in spite of all of his trial knew the source of his joy and it was before him all the time C.S. Lewis has impacted many, many lives through his writing. If you've never read anything by C.S. Lewis, I would encourage you to, to get some of his writings and begin to read them. He got married for the first time when he was around 60 years of age. Over the years before that, about six or seven years before that, he had a growing relationship with Joy Davidman, a divorced American woman that had been influenced in her faith by the writings of C.S. Lewis. She was a writer herself. She was a poet herself. And after a divorce, she had come to England to get away from an alcoholic and abusive husband. And Lewis found himself at a point in time where, where their relationship was deepening and 
he wanted to marry her, but the Church of England would not allow them to get married because she was divorced. And so he and his brother gave her a job, and she worked there for a number of years, and they carried on a friendship, uh, but he didn't marry her. And then the day came when Joy, uh, her, literally her leg one day broke while she was walking in her kitchen. And they took her to the hospital and discovered that she was uh, full of cancer. Uh, in the meantime, before that had happened, the, the, the English government had taken a look at Joy, and she had at one time, before she became a Christian, been part of the Communist Party, and they were trying to expel her from England. And the only way that C.S. Lewis could figure out to keep her in England, he didn't want her to have to go back and her boys to have to go back to America, was for him to marry her. So he went ahead and married her in a civil ceremony apart from the church. But he didn't see him. He knew that kept her in England. But he didn't see himself as married to her. He said, I haven't been married in the eyes of the church, therefore I'm not really married to her. This is just a legal contract. So I'm not, so he, she continued to live several blocks from him, and he didn't move in with her, have any relations with her, because in his eyes, they weren't really married. Now she suddenly gets this illness. He's brokenhearted for her. But he knows, and a, a, a minister who has prayed for people who are sick and seen them get well, so he calls this minister and says, will you come? And, and pray for her. And he brings him in and explains the circumstances. And this minister prays for her to be healed. And then they talk about the relationship. And this minister says, you know what, I don't care what the Church of England says. Uh, I'm going to marry you. And so he performs a a church wedding. They're in the hospital room thinking that she will die in the next few days. The doctors are saying she's going to be dead in the next few days. In fact, after the wedding, they sent her home to die. But Joy, instead of dying, got better. And for the next three years, they had this wonderful relationship. They traveled together, they'd worked together. They had this wonderful relationship together for the next three years. And then suddenly the cancer came back. And within a very, very short time, uh, joy was gone. Now, it's interesting because that, that is um, not only her name, but symbolic of a, a lot of ways of what happened in C.S. Lewis's life because he would write and talk about the fact that the excitement and the passion that most people experience when they're in their early 20s, he was experiencing in his early 60s. C.S. Lewis would write after this death, as I spent time in the secret place, 
the fabric of our world's reality, the fading space-time blanket that enwraps us grew as thin as a sheet of wax paper. The physical world felt less and less felt less like ultimate reality. I had the strange sensation of living inside a cardboard box that had been painted to look like a castle, the kind a child would build with great relish, while all the time my little cardboard box was sitting inside a great hall of a real castle. There was a distinct sense of something larger and permanent, peeking through the chinks in the physical world. What was he saying? All these circumstances, all these things, this grief I'm going through, it's all based on the foundation of a world that when we discover the presence of God in the secret place, we suddenly find the sustaining power of God in our life. We have this leaning to see the world as everything. It is all we know and our hopes and dreams are all here. Thus the power of circumstances reign in our life. The threat that, life, the threat that that life can be ruined by one act or by one thing that happens, that our life is really out of control, looms over us all the time. The reality that all happiness is fleeting like a piece of chocolate in our mouths, dissolving and gone. The march of time in, in our lives is sweeping by us. All can seem vain and empty, or worse, all can seem lost. But in a moment, crying for help, in the moment on a Damascus road, in the dark of a night in a shepherd's field, while you're hiding in a wine press, while you're sleepless in bed at night, in a moment of hunger in your soul, in a time of where, where in obedience and prayer, suddenly Jesus shows up. Light dawns on your soul. Hope is born. Joy comes flooding in. And you'll never be the same again because of the abiding joy of God. Like David, you'll be able to say, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore and no longer will circumstances of life no longer will the things that you face be the king of your life be the ruler of your life be something you have to fear and dread and worry about because you'll know that no matter what God allows you to walk through he walks through it with you in Jesus name Oh, let's, st let's stand together and lift our hands to the Lord today and let's just seek Him for a moment today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If today you come into this place and you have circumstances in your life that are weighing you down, that have you uh, under, the, under its control and you need the presence of God in your life as we sing this song one more time we're going to pray for you quickly here in just a moment 
I just want you to step out and come and stand down to the front and say, I need the abiding presence of God in my life. So right now, step out and come down as we sing this song one more time. Father, we come before you right now around this altar, and we choose to put you in front of us. We choose to be aware of who you are in our life. We choose to remind our souls, remind our spirits of who you are and what you do in our lives and not to be controlled by the circumstances of the moment. We invite your presence into our life. Father, give us the fruit of your spirit, that abiding presence that comes from you and you alone. Father, we just pray you'd touch us and lift us and strengthen us in you so that we would walk with that sweet fragrance of your presence within us so that, Father, this world's sway would be limited in our life. And even in the worst of moments, we would feel and know and sense your abiding presence growing in us and leading us and forming us into the men and women you'd have us to be. Father, I pray for every person in this room that we would understand today, Father, where our joy should come from, that abiding joy, and that, Father, we would take the time in our lives to get alone with you, to get into that secret place with you. Father, go there regularly and meet with you and to invite your presence to sweep over us so that that fragrance could be in us, make us grateful in the great times, and give us hope in the dark times. Be upon us today and guide us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's worship the Lord one more time today.